the critic. Matt the critic. Here, where's he at? Matt the critic. Although, well, as you could hear, that was a very elaborate intro for my two guests today. So, hello everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the Matt the Critic Show. I'm your host, Matthew Alicoon, and for those of you who know me elsewhere, Matt the Critic. Matt the Critic came out of my aspiration to review film, television and theatre as a teenager. Although, obviously, now being on the MA drama production course, I think I'm well past the teenager's age. I commenced my filmmaking journey in 2018 when I was accepted onto the British Film Institute Academy Mentoring Programme. Since 2020, I became the first film and television critic for Reviewsgate.com, helping to expand their audience during lockdown. Last year, I produced our final year undergraduate project, Pick a Card, for Birmingham City University, which has since won Best Picture at Not the Oscars and Brigfridge International Film Festival. I decided to come to Salford to study drama production because I wanted to essentially be able to express myself more creatively. And with the show, I want to learn more about the creative, talented individuals amongst different courses here. So I'm very pleased to welcome Pepper Wild and Cad Danbury Ramesh to the show. How are we both doing today? Good, how are yeah. you? Doing very right? good, yeah. It's been a hell of a week. I'm oh. physically exhausted, but... <laughs> Unlike every other week, of course. Exactly. I know. <laughs> Well, we've got an assignment coming up in uh, middle of November, so no pressure for that. Yeah. So let's get straight into the chat. Uh, the chat's mainly just going to be getting to know more about you and your story, essentially. So my first question is, what were you doing before the course and why did you choose to come to Salford in particular? Okay, me first. So I worked as a content writer for a year and I mean, I finished undergrad last year and I worked as a content writer, ended up doing or page management and client servicing. And I realized very quickly that I cannot write for brands. Like, it is so boring. You start off writing something and you really like it, and at the end it becomes something else. It's just, it, it has no soul. Mm. And then why Salford is because I know how to write. I know I can write, but I don't know how to do the rest of it. And I think this is the only place that taught you how to do the rest. So that's why. That's really quite interesting, yeah. I think it's really... You see it in, I think, films quite often in cinemas where they've become a product of the studio rather than what the writer set out to be. So I really do like that. And I think what's so nice about this course is that it's such a diverse range of backgrounds. Pepper? That's a good lead-in. Thank you, Matt. Um, so yeah, so I did anatomy and human biology in my undergraduate, so it's a, a complete career change. Um, and in the intermediary time since doing my undergrad I've been working in FMCG which is fast-moving consumer goods so basically making deals and uh, getting products into basically any store or grocery store that you might have been in in, in the last kind of seven years oh um, wow <clears throat> so yeah so it's a very very different um, and I wanted to do this I mean I I always wanted to do it I think it's one of those kind of leap of faith things um, mm. I think you know I kind of went a more what I perceived to be a more sensible route I guess um, when I was younger um, and I used to actually work in this building um, with a, a company upstairs. So I basically used to see all the students kind of marching into Salford Uni every day and thinking I'd really rather be one of them rather than up here. Um, so that's kind of how I came to Salford. And, and I did have some friends that have come here for their postgrad and they really recommended it for kind of different life stages. And it is very diverse, kind of like you said. Yeah, I think it's very diverse. And I think also it's like people who've come from a course you 
wouldn't necessarily expect who like yourself who's obviously the science degree is like wow that's kind of a very big transition i think ultimately and it's worth pointing out that i found my science gcse so you were a better person than me <laughs> for doing it at undergraduate because i don't think my brain could have coped with that literally but yeah so what do you essentially want to get out of this course at the end of it ultimately Sorry, well, for me, I think it's writing stories like how I got into film and I mean, got into film as a, like how did I, I fall in love. How I fell in love with films and stuff is it became an escape for me. And I want it to be an escape for somebody else. Like we were talking about this before, uh, Pepper and I were talking about this. And also, like, I've seen a lot of Indian films, they don't really have story, mm. <laughs> they have hyenas. <laughs> <laughs> They don't really have good stories, and the ones that have good stories, they're not in theaters. They're on OTT platforms, and I want to change that. Like I want, I know it's going to take a while, but I think this is going to start that for me. Wow, that's unbelievably inspiring. Yeah, I think it's it's as you said. There's like really good films out there. I think where they're just tucked away on streaming, where you just I think exposure is really what they need. So now I really do like that. Yeah. How about yourself, Pepper? Um, I mean, I, I think there's a lot to get out of this course. I, if I could learn how to fully produce, make everything like my own indie mumblecore film, that, that would be amazing. But basically, if I can just better learn how to make people laugh um, mm -hmm. and, and enjoying kind of that escapism That's like we hard, talked about yeah. of, yeah, whatever kind of time frame that piece that you're making is, as long as it kind of resonates with people. That's, I guess, what I'm here to, to really hone. I think, yeah, I'd agree from my end as well. I think it's ultimately about uh, creating content that leaves a lasting impact with the mm. viewer from my perspective. Um, because I am not going to lie, I had a very mediocre undergraduate. I mean, pick a card was the only thing I really kind of came out with <laughs> thinking I'm actually quite proud of that because the mm. stuff I did in first and second year, I wasn't too impressed by. So Salford's actually been on my radar for a while. I would have come here this is really weird thinking about if it wasn't for covid at affecting the undergraduate i would have probably come to sulfur to do my uh ba or bsc which is quite baffling to think about the fact that i'm now here mm. sat hosting this so i think it's the right time i think that i'm doing this i think i don't know how you feel if it's the right time yeah you're making definitely it. definitely did that i i'd had the application open but similarly for the pandemic i i didn't want to have that limitation i guess of knowing that that hopefully mm. is just a blip in time for us um and that that isn't how you're going to be creating things in the long run so i thought it'd be better to wait until basically you know we had full access to locations and mm. people and everything like that i think what's so good as well is that I've, i think we've been here for about like i've moved to manchester early September and a bit about a month and a bit and it's already been so fulfilling the course I think just having the weekly tasks we get set each week like I was never going out on my own terms to film anything during undergraduate whereas mm. this is really kind of giving you incentives to think right let's go out and film something here and we've actually done some really good work together I know we did yeah. Don't Suffer in Silence we did the Terry Gilliam film last week which that was quite uh, <laughs> trying to watch that back project. very <laughs> different yeah <laughs> But yeah, no, yes, I thank you for editing that. I did not want to look at my own oh face yeah. that long. That's all right. Yeah, I think it's very hard to watch yourself back sometimes, mm. particularly when you know you're being a bit comedic. I'll put it that way, <laughs> <laughs> and you're not taking anything seriously. Mm. So, oh, that's it. I'll, I'll move on to this. So, was there someone 
or something that inspired you on this path you're on right now? Mm, that's, that is a good question. I think for me, it was, it was a push, like, can I do this? Because this was not what I intended to do, like, three years ago. I wanted to become a psychologist. I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a clinical psychologist. People are going to come to me. And then after that, I was like, yeah, no. I In have fairness, my I think they do do that kind of part. I mean, I don't think I've lost that streak, but yeah. yeah. So it was that. And then later, I had my own things going on in life and I was like yeah I can't deal with this and then writing became my escape and while after that shows did like that's when I sort of fell in love with K-dramas and <laughs> Korean movies and like that whole like all of the things that they make and other movies I started appreciating movies because it became my escape and I think that inspired me I was like okay so like for this so episodes for K-dramas are on like 45 minutes to one hour so it's like for this one hour, I am not here. I am in Busan or I am in Kongjin. Mm. So that's what I wanted to do. And I th that thought inspired me. And that's why I'm here. I, th I think my inspirations probably come from a few different places. I don't know which one's maybe the strongest, but um, I, I maybe was like a little bit of a lonely kid, <laughs> which I think often happens if you're really into film. Um, so they were definitely like partly my friends and you know my comfort space, like you're talking yeah. about a kind of, again, the escapism. Um, when I was like a teen, I really thought I was going to do claymation and then obviously learned how long that takes oh. um, and then was like, oh, okay, maybe that's not the future of, mm. of my filmmaking. Um, and probably people wise, I think probably my grandma, because she does a lot of like local theater and like um, volunteer acting for like firefighters and doctor training and stuff like that. Um, and I don't know, she's just, she's just such a like a, just a wonderful, full, joyous person. And I think. I, I associate that with people in this industry and I've definitely seen that being true yeah. so far of, I don't know, it just seems like everybody's such a, a full person. I don't know if that makes any sense, but. I think it does, like, because, uh, like, from everyone who I've met on the course uh, currently, I think they're just some of the nicest people I've ever met. Mm. Yeah. And I think what I said during the, the induction week was that I've only been here for, like, three days, but I felt like I've known these people my entire <laughs> life. Because yeah. you've got such a creative link to them, I think, in some regards, I think. I think it's that and also like we're all uncertain of what's going to happen next. Yeah, yeah. we're all we, I think very ambitious and we're trying stuff mm. and we're we're just here to I guess support each other which is really yeah. nice if we, we know we have different backgrounds and maybe different aims but like we're all trying things at the same time you know yeah. we're all experimenting and learning so. Yeah, there's like there's no certain formula that's going to get you there. There's I think it's a lot of fear mm. that comes with this work, a lot of self-doubt that comes in as well and like being in this cohort you're like no this would work or you could try this and I think it, there's a lot of helping each other mm. I think there's a lot of like being able to try new things as well I think yeah. that you wouldn't necessarily have felt brave to explore during undergraduate because I think I start, like making a silent short film I never would have thought of doing at all but it was really quite an interesting challenge I think yeah. creatively because how do you make the silence essentially like, like a character in the piece, essentially? Yeah, a feature rather than mm. a defect, right? Yeah. Uh, I would say the next part I want to learn, uh, are there any skills from your previous experiences that you're hoping to use this year? Well, for me, it's... my pe Like, in my previous place, I learned to talk to anybody and about anything. Like, I can just go and talk. Like, you need someone to ask for a building manager. Okay, I'm going. <laughs> like, I'm not scared to talk. And I think that's something that's huge. Because I know, like, during my interview, Simon was like, a lot of people are just scared to just 
call someone and be like hey do you have an opening or you know i think in it might be really like a minute detail but it matters a lot so that's something i'm hoping to use and of course i don't want to use anything i learned in content writing over here it's not going to work <laughs> well, you can learn what you don't want to be yeah? using right there's well, there's so. lot of things i don't want to do <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of us are maybe bringing a lot of those same skills, kind of you're touching on, like, customer service. And I know that our lecturers have said quite a few times, you know, working in a bar or, mm. you know, working some kind of customer service role, you do use that, like you said, the, the kind of interactions with just yeah. other people and kind of, I guess, getting them on side and, and getting those opportunities opened. I mean, I've definitely already used that for the Stories in Stone project. Yeah. You know, we, we've gone out as a group and found our own venue, oh. um, and that was just basically from snooping around a church and chatting wow. to some people and, and it's great you know that's that's nice that that is how that yeah. works you know yeah I think um, I think it's mainly just more kind of from undergrad I just kind of want to push myself more creatively I think mm. try projects that are kind of out of my comfort zone more than anything because with the uh, MTP project which I incidentally don't know what I'm going to do yet don't I kind worry, of same here. <laughs> mm, I kind of want to maybe try something I've never done like maybe a video essay or something because mm. as a critic I think I could really get my teeth into that mm. but yeah that's really good to know I think the course has just been amazing to be fair like I've it's just mad to think we're only in October. We've still got so many months to go. <laughs> they have jammed a lot into yeah. these five weeks. Yeah, I know. So it's been intense. But I, mean, I think like because we hit the ground running, right? It it sort of like I think like Simon said, by the time you're in Jan, you're like already in there instead of panicking later in the towards the end. And like I, they talk about the industry a lot. Mm. I think once you go there, be like, okay, it's not that bad. <laughs> I, I'm hoping. <laughs> Yeah, I think what's really nice is, as you said, hitting the ground running, I think was very key from uh, the first week because uh, we're collaborating with the other courses, which I have to say, during my undergraduate, it was almost like our course was afraid of the other courses, oh, literally. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. it was very segregated and they didn't really want us to, well, they didn't encourage us to mix with other people. So Yeah, yeah I think whereas obviously we've literally had a music mixer with main campus, yeah. so yeah. Like very different, right? Yeah, we had that too. Like, we had another BA honors course, so they did uh, just film and everything we're doing, basically. But we, we had psychology, English, and communication studies, and we weren't, like, we... We were shared between three departments and they like we weren't allowed to do other things in the university. Like we weren't allowed to, you know, participate in the choir. So like I like mm. singing. I wanted to sing, be part of the choir. They're like, No, if you're doing that you can't be in my class. So yeah. So like while my friends are having the time of their life, going out for fests and everything, we were in class. We weren't allowed to go watch the cultural programs that were going on. We were in class all the time. And it was crazy. And even like with the honors kids, we ju some of them did get along. Some of them we we really didn't mingle. Cause and I don't even know half their names. And it wasn't even a big class. So that was kind of sad. Cause mm. there's the, so much we could have done. Like cause we are writers and they they're the ones who learned how to shoot. We could have made so so many things. And I think that was just a lost opportunity. I think another uh, testament to just how great basically all our classmates yeah. have been. You know, we, we, we barely told our names in the first week and that we're the biggest cohort as far as I understand that drama's ever had. Yeah. And I personally feel like by week two, we all we all knew each other's names. We all knew at least some minor information about each other, which which is really rare and nice. Yeah, yeah I think it's, as you said, it's really interesting because like uh, I, this is way bigger class than my uh, undergraduate. And I think what's nice for me 
is that everybody wants to be here genuinely wants to be here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because the, and people always turn up uh, the attendance is very good which I think is a real nice change for me because when you're with people on a course that don't want to be there it kind of gets them around down mm. because you instantly think why am I here essentially because I did have things like that during my undergraduate and they were horrible because it was like I I mean I, I would probably speak for everyone on that course but we all thought we could drop out at this point and it wouldn't make a difference so i think what's really nice being here is that everything's kind of reversed in the best positive way uh, which i think's really nice and as you were describing cadaveri it was just it sounded like a living hell worse than (laughs) mine which is mad but yeah yeah. i think it's really a testament to how great simon is incidentally i wish we'll wish him luck with uh the birth of his new twins, yes. Yeah, hard on the Yeah. I know. We look forward to ret- seeing you return, Simon. <laughs> yes, we miss you. Might have to get him on the show at some point. That'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will send this to him when it's done. But yeah, let's get into our review segment. Uh, so let's have a conversation. Uh, this could be film, TV, anything that you've watched recently that you want to talk about right now. And I'm going to let the guests <laughs> go right. first. Before okay. So recently, um, I watched Leo, which is a Tamil movie. So I'm big into Indian films because I started off with watching films of the West and I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. But then I was like, what are they doing back home? Like, I wanted to see what they're doing back home because all everyone outside of India were talking about was Bollywood. And I was like, okay, let me see what the South are doing. And I realized, oh my God, they do have good films. And I think I was talking to Simon about this. Depending on which state you, which state film you want to watch, you get it little bit of everything so you have like the Malayalam industry is very down to earth very real low budget films no over the top anything it's very real and then you have Tamar so in Tamar you have films that are either over the top or they're very real there's like it there's a balance and then there's Telugu you have films like RRR and it's (laughs) massive sets and you know, it like it's the grandeur. Like it's the it's the it's not the story that's the main focus over there. It's everything else. It's 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 how it looks. And so recently, I watched Leo, which is filmed by Lokesh Kanagaraj, and everyone was waiting for it because his last two films, Kaidi and Vikram, were really good. They're action films. I'm a huge fan of action, but I love romance too. <laughs> and I think over here used too much of CGI but I really like his dynamic shots like there was, there's a scene where like Vijay is just trying to smoke and then the camera just moves and there's this fluid fluidity to it and I really loved that and then shows shows well made in heaven I will always recommend this to everyone I see it's it's about marriages and like while the main character is trying to like put this facade saying that you know now that I'm with the rich my life is amazing she realizes that she loses herself and she is a wedding ad- a wedding organizer yeah wedding planner and you see how like wed- weddings really aren't made in heaven and how how we people keep spoiling so they ta- they talk about casteism colorism dowry and even religion and there's something about that show that really, you know, it made me think. It left like a lasting impact because we think that we're modern, we're progressive, but it are we really? That's that's something I really liked about the show. That's really interesting, yeah. yeah. 
I have uh, completely off topic, well, on topic, but <laughs> off of your, uh, yeah. your list question on that. Of um, At the moment, California is looking to pass a law to um, ban, basically, caste system-like mm -hmm. issues. Um, mm -hmm. Apparently, it is still a problem of, like, even in the license plates and stuff mm. where people will put like Brahmin and stuff like that. Um, uh -huh. I don't know if you've seen anything about that, but what because no. some people are saying, so I'm from California, I probably should have said that first, <laughs> but um, some people are saying we shouldn't be talking about this because it's just bringing the caste system as a concept mm. back up fully. And, you know, we were sort of past yeah. that. And then some people are saying, well, actually, you know, we've still been having that kind of covert racism and yeah, casteism yeah. throughout. So we do need to be passing a law on it. Do you, do, I'm not sure which way you lean on that. No, I definitely think so because I'm from a tribal community and no one knows my language back home. Mm. Like, n almost no Indian knows about it and unless they've been from the area. And if, you know, if people start, like, segregating you, mm. then, like, where is the opportunity to grow? Like, you're just being pushed to the menial jobs. Mm. Like, not that we had it. There are communities that had it worse. And I feel like if you keep pushing them down, like... Where are you going to go as a society, right? And I think films, as a way, have like have this uh, approach where they, you could break through it. So, like, there's this director called Marie Sel Marie Selvaraj, and his films talk about uh, casteism, and he uses animals to showcase it, mm -hmm. and and colors as well. And it was so good. Like his film, his first two films that I really liked were Karnan and Pariyaram um, Permal. And he uses that. He talks about, like, casteism and how, like, the last scene for Pariyaram Permal is he and the father of the girl he liked, they they have a conversation. And he's like, did you not, did you ever like my daughter? And he's like, before even I had the thought, you removed it away from me because he was ill-treated. Mm. Like, there was this really gruesome scene where he was ill-treated by her family for just attending a wedding that she invited him to. And then... They even show, like, the ending scene, like, they show two teacups and, like, a jasmine flower in the, in the middle of them, showing that they sort of made their peace with yeah, it. Yeah, right in the middle. Kind yeah. Of thing. Okay, yeah, interesting. Oh, that's really interesting, yeah. Uh, I've seen totally different <laughs> titles to that. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think it's show-wise, I just finished recently watching uh, Boiling Point, which I think is the hot topic of yeah. our group chat. Uh I think it's an outstanding continuation of the film. I think uh, it taps more into the chefs at the restaurant. Uh, Stephen Graham as Andy is, I don't want to say sideline, but he's a much more of a secondary character in this because he's a recovering alcoholic, if you saw the film. Minor spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this show essentially explores uh, Carly, who's the sous chef in the film, and she's now the head chef running uh, Point North, this new fine dining restaurant. And it's essentially about the pressures of working in that kind of environment every day for the chefs, not just her, but her whole team. And that's one of the things I think the show really encapsulates well, is that it isn't just about her or Stephen Graham, it's about the other cooks. So like the pot washer gets, well the pot washers get a whole episode dedicated to them, which I think was one of the best hours of TV I've seen in a very long time in terms of tension of how they had to make extra money. Uh, one of the wait, wait, waitresses gets a storyline uh, regarding a disease she has. I'm not gonna spoil that either. But yeah, Boiling Point was, I think the BBC just knocks out top quality UK dramas. And I think Boiling Point is, I could have honestly watched another four episodes when it finished because 
the ending leaves you wanting more, I put it that way. And there's definitely room for the story to grow because it's a mini-series, it's only four episodes, but uh, I thought Boiling Point was great. Uh, definitely recommend that. Uh, I don't know if you would have actually seen any of the titles I've written <laughs> down on this list, but I'll talk about uh, the BFI London Film Festival UK tour, which I went to see. Uh, I saw two films at home recently. Incidentally, Home is one of the nicest cinemas I've probably ever been to. I don't know if any of you have ever yeah. been. I have, yeah, it's nice. It's, really nice. it's unbelievable. Like, uh, and I was luckily in the main screen for both films, and I have to say, it's bigger than some main chains I've been in. So, massive props to Home for putting on such a good event. Well organised as well. Yeah. Well structured. Uh, I realised the queuing system uh, the first time. <laughs> Uh, because when I saw all of our strangers, uh, I I was middle of the queue, and it was about half an hour before the film even started because it was that it was a sold out screening. Mm. So when it came to the second film, I got there like really really early, and I got exactly the seat I wanted. Thank you very much. <laughs> but yeah, I'll I'll talk a bit briefly about them both because uh, we'll do all of our strangers first because that's what I saw first. Uh, I will apologise because I messaged uh, Cadbury and you basically saw how much I was praising the film. Yes. I basically... I have to watch it now. <laughs> uh, it's coming out January 26, 2024. Uh, and I have to say, it is probably one of the best films I've seen this decade. So we're kicking off with a very heavy hitter. I say that uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, it stars Andrew Scott as Adam and Paul Mescal as Harry. Uh, they both live in this very isolated tower block and they both meet and chemistry develops between them instantly in a real dazzling manner. But also Andrew Scott is a film and television screenwriter who's trying to come up with, write an idea based around his parents and he goes back to his childhood home and he sees both his parents living there, but they're younger than him. The, the parents are played by Jamie Bell and Claire Foy. I think it's worth mentioning that it never feels like a gimmick where you see uh, an older son interact with a younger mum and dad, because what I think that does is it's actually really cathartic, because what you're essentially doing is really profound look at memory and how looking at someone's parents uh, through that kind of a lens is really emotional. I think it's really thought-provoking at times as well. I think that, because it explores a number of topics, uh, isolation in relationships, gay acceptance, another big, big one, particularly with the parents, because there were scenes where you just looked at the parents' faces to when the, the son came out as gay, and it was like, oh my God, because it felt so real, I think. But I kind of don't want to say anything else other than I came out of it feeling like I haven't seen a film move me like this in such a long time. And I was like, I didn't want it to be the fact because I've seen it so early. I didn't want to have an unconscious bias because I love Paul Mescal. I mean, I think his filmography is quite illegal because he's that good. Uh, but I think it's I think it's a masterpiece. I think the performances are, it's, a, it's one of the best four-handers I've ever seen because it isn't just one person leading the way for everyone. It's I've, Scott, Mescal, Bell, Foyer, superb. But yeah, I think all of our strangers, I, I've written my full five-star review on Reviews Gate and it is worth reading because I, I think I started by just saying, wow, 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 because, <laughs> and I never do that. 
too often because I think it's a gem of a film. I think it's already one of my favourite films of next year. I think it's probably going to make top five of next year. <laughs> I think it's literally going to be my front runner already. And it's like, if if 2024 is this good for film, I can't wait to see what we have. Because if I could honestly say there are 10 films better than all of us strangers, it's just like, whoa. That's how good the year must be. But I definitely recommend that. And I also saw the other night Jodie Comer's new film, The End We Start From. Uh, it's directed by... Uh, Mahalia Bello and it's essentially a low-key British survival film about uh, the climate crisis in London and it's essentially Coma plays a pregnant woman who gets flooded out of her apartment and she has to go on the run with her husband played by Joel Fry and it's essentially they get separated I'm not going to say why, but you it's her fight for survival, essentially, in this climate. And what I think is really good about this is that it's very stripped back in the sense of budget because the budget for this is £9 million, which is a high budget, obviously, but you don't... With disaster films, you expect to see sort of like a $200 million budget where mm. buildings are just exploding. Michael Bay literally decides to blow everything up type thing. And that's what I think was really unique about this because... It's a film where you don't need to see the repercussions of famous London landmarks going under. You just need to feel what the characters are feeling. I think the actual backstory, uh, backstories for each character Coma meets along her way is really quite unique. And it's almost something I wish was explored more because it's mainly Jodie Coma's story. It's certainly worth mentioning the characters, which I think is genius. Uh, Coma is literally called woman in the credits. Uh, and each character is kind of named after the letter of the alphabet, like there's someone called B, C, D, and it's really a unique choice to anonymise people during a disaster because mm. I think those kind of situations are way more about community more than who people... It's just about the individual themselves. I mean, you could put a name to someone, but it's the individual who's there who's making a difference, which I think the film really encapsulates beautifully. I think probably the biggest fault is that I think the character, the supporting characters did not get enough screen time for my liking because I think there's such richness to play with. I think it juggles a lot, perhaps maybe slightly too much for its runtime. I think Benedict Cumberbatch, for example, I did think does not get justice in the film because he's kind of in it and then he's not. Uh, I think, but I would say other than that, it's a pretty faultless film. I think it's a real interesting strip-back look at how people respond in a disaster. I think it's also about the mentality it takes to survive an event like that. I think I've not really seen it explored that well because normally in disaster films, it's just, as I said, it's about let's blow up this building, that building, that building. And you feel characters don't get justice in the big blockbuster films, whereas you strip something back like the end we start from, it's really an intimate look at how people survive, ultimately. Uh, I think, uh, actually out today, it's worth saying we're recording this on the 20th of October. This film comes out today. Uh, it Lives Inside, which is directed by Bishal Duta, and it's essentially a, a horror movie of Megan Suri, who plays Sam, and she's grappling with her Indian-American culture, essentially, 
Uh, she's unsure where her identity lies in the sense that she wants to hang out with her American friends, but she also wants to stay true to her roots. In the midst of this, one of her best friends comes to her and says, there's this entity in this jar, and it's like, because they're both Indian, they kind of find this relationship together, and she instantly dismisses it. And what gets out is this real interesting entity called the Pishark, which you have, I think we had this conversation yes, about, did, yeah. yeah, which I have to say, as for a demonic horror, firstly, I thought it was such a refreshing take on the genre because to have a entity that has purpose and that has, well, history, essentially, because it is kind of folk horror, mm. I think really made a difference because you've got something to latch onto. I think also the way it kind of tackles its finale the way they kind of try and bargain with it is flawless. It, it's textbook because I would never think, oh, that's how you would try and basically get the pish arc to go away. I actually think the design was spectacular because there was times where I was genuinely on the edge of my seat. I think it was a very immersive sound design. Uh, the scene, there was a scene involving a glass jar that genuinely made my heart stop when watching it because it was like, oh my god, when is this going to end? Because I think what's so good about the horror in this is that it has a lingering effect for a very long time. So it stays on shots where you think, oh, when is this going to be over, make it stop type thing. But it's really immersive sound design. I think Bishal Duta is a name to watch for a while in the horror genre. I think it's a really well-accomplished first feature from him. It's. I think what's so nice, I think... I don't know if you see first feature films from many people, but when you watch them now, I think you don't know they're first time filmmakers or first feature because they're so accomplished, especially with something like Talk To Me, which just came out recently. Uh, I think there is a kill scene in it, which is one of the most brutal deaths I've seen all year, which I, I would recommend going in blind as possible. Uh, because uh, have you been watching The Fall of the House of Usher would be my follow up question. I haven't, no. Okay. I, haven't I want seen to talk about Most Brutal Death after, after you watch oh. it. <laughs> well, this is, yeah. I get I get Brutal Death in a film, you can have Brutal Death in a show. But let's, right, should then. we talk about Mike Flanagan? <laughs> because uh, the show, uh, you just heard, the fall of, is it The Fall of the House of the Usher? Fall or? of House of Usher. Yeah, which I haven't seen. I'll be honest, this is going to be quite embarrassing to admit. I've never seen any of the Mike Flanagan shows. Oh, okay. But I have seen all of his films. Yeah. Because... Uh, for anyone who knows me, my TV commitment is so bad. Like, <laughs> if I was to rattle off the list that I, of shows I've never seen, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, mm. that's just a couple. Okay. So talk about, let's, to, let's talk about Mike Flanagan, yeah. Let you give your thoughts on the show. I mean, I'm definitely loving it. I, I, I've loved most of his mm. TV programs he's come out. Obviously, we've, we're in spooky season. Um, I, I just feel like he uses imagery so cleverly um and it's I, I am a bit of a sucker for if a director uses the same actors over and over but puts them in different roles it's really nice to kind of get to see them fulfill those in like completely opposite sides um i don't want to spoil anything because it really gets into it quite quickly so mm, yeah i think um you see that a lot with filmmakers and coll frequent collaborators like well I'll be reviewing it next week as a pre-tease. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, Leonardo oh, DiCaprio, yes. Martin Scorsese have obviously had their fair due of collaborations. Mm. Uh, same with Robert De Niro and Scorsese. Mm. Uh, same with Killian Murphy and Christopher <laughs> Nolan. Yeah. I think it, it's really uh, 
it's it's very interesting to see how that dynamic changes when you put an actor in a, the same filmmakers, well, just a different project. Yeah. Because I think uh, their performances feel very nuanced in the sense they're very distinctive for what they're making. They don't feel like, oh, it's like he was in, it's like Killian Murphy was playing like he was in The Dark Knight or something, just for example. But yeah. obviously very different films, but just Dark as an example. Inception as well, right? Yeah. yeah. It, weird to think he's in Inception because <laughs> when you think of Inception, Killian Murphy is not top of the agenda yeah. for that. I'm no, sorry, Killian, you were amazing in Oppenheimer, <laughs> but <laughs> he was so good. <laughs> I, I definitely think of him in that. If that helps, yeah. he definitely is like in my in my list of he's in Inception. Yeah. So sorry, Killian, you're very low at the list. That's me. Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt for me. Yeah. But like, I was like, wait, he's there, right? Yeah, he's there. Yeah. Not not counting uh, not counting in Elliot. I feel like he gets pretty solid airtime in Inception. Mm. Oh, I need to rewatch Inception. <laughs> so like, it's probably just because of how low he is on the because uh, it is a massive ensemble. It that is. Film. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's one of probably one of the best ensemble. Tom Hardy too. Right? Yeah. I know. So. Tom Hardy's great in Inception. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I I really liked him as being. Yeah, I did as well. Mm. Controversial, but yeah, I, did, <laughs> I actually thought the. Uh, the mixing was fixed in mm. Dark Knight Rises in a much better way where the voice felt predominant, like a massive threat. Yeah. I think, oh, we could go on all day about how much I love the Batman films. Christopher <laughs> <laughs> Nolan's for me. Nah, it's Matt Reeves, the Batman. There we go, I dropped it in. <laughs> Get it. Christian Bale for me. So would you say, because um, we'll have to talk about Dark Knight Rises, is there a, a fine line of the fact that nowadays... Do franchises drag on for too long, do you think, ultimately? They do, they do. I think I think at some point it becomes money over matter, right? It does, yeah. Like I Fast and Furious, what are you doing? <laughs> I think most people would probably say that the franchises they love do not go on too long, but if they're not into it, then yeah, just that's like they keep serving you something you don't mm. want to eat, you know? Yeah. Mm. It's a really good, interesting topic when we're in a world where something like The Exorcist Believer just came out recently. Incidentally, uh, my thoughts on the, the Exorcist Believer, or as I like to call it, the unexorcist, <laughs> unbelievably sleeper, is to avoid the film at all costs. I mean, I didn't pay anything to see it, but I genuinely feel like I was conned out of money. <laughs> I, thought it was, I genuinely thought it was one of the worst major studio horrors I've seen in my life. Because it, it commits three sins. It's not scary. The characters are one-dimensional. And... It, uh, the fact that even when they try and shoehorn in Ed Ellen Burstyn from the original, it the way they do it is so stupid and bad. You just think, if you take her out of the film, firstly, has no narrative difference. Secondly, it makes your film, you can't use the brand name, so it would just be called Believer. I mean, if we were calling it after my terms, it would just be called Sleeper. So, I mean... I, I actually really like David Gordon Green, who directed Exorcist, which is a real sh shame. Because I think with his Halloween trilogy, I am on the minority for that. Because I actually... He's told very three unique stories within uh, the town of Haddonfield. Uh, but I think with this was just like, what on earth are you trying to achieve here? I think that's the third biggest sin, is that everyone has to explain the plot out loud to each other. I don't know if you've ever seen anything recently where there is so much exposition I think another example I could think of would be A Haunting in Venice where Poirot literally gathers everyone in a room and goes you didn't do it you didn't do it you <laughs> didn't do it and it's just like 
God, it's so boring. And I think it not being scary is perhaps the biggest sin because the original Exorcist is one of the greatest horror films I've ever seen. I don't know if you, any of you have ever seen Exorcist or... Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? It is brilliant. Love a uh, split pea soup, can't <laughs> knock it. But avoid Exorcist Believer at your peril because you're only putting <laughs> money into absolute rubbishness. I mean, it's... I, d- I hate going on about how bad it is without... <laughs> How much I enjoyed Saw X. I think it's a really interesting conversation because, as you, you said, Pepper, it walks a really fine line between what you like and what you don't like these days. Because I'm a huge Shaw fan, I, and I, Simon, I think, judged me for <laughs> like seeing all ten Saw films. He did actually question how I've seen all ten, but I have. Uh, I really did like Saw X. I think it was a real interesting, intuitive tie-in to the older Saw films because it's set between Saw 1 and Saw 2. I think as well, I think I don't think they're being dragged on too long. From my perspective, I don't think enough exciting material is being brought to the mm. table. I have two examples of sequels-ish, you could say, that are the best example of where you could take a franchise and do something very interesting. So the first one I would say, I don't know if you've ever seen Missing, the screen life film, the sequel to Mi- Mi- no sequel to Searching. I don't mm. think so, no. Which is basically a computer screen life thriller from one of my favourite producers, Natalie Kasabian, who I'll give a shout out if she ever <laughs> listens to this. Uh, but that took the same formula but told a completely different story with different characters and that is an example of creating something soul individual and unique because Missing is one of the most compelling thrillers I've seen uh, this decade because it feels like it's made for this time period it doesn't feel old and dated like something I don't mean to slag Kenneth Branagh off here but I don't think the Proro films work that much because I think the way they conduct themselves feels it just you don't wouldn't conduct a murder mystery like that these days. That's why I think something like Knives Out works so well. I was gonna say yes, I think yes. when you have them both in the same time period, it's mm. it's hard to not compare them, isn't it? And yeah. then I think Knives Out just has a, a much more modern, I guess, I, format, doesn't it? Yeah. I think as well the twists. I think the writing. I mean, I'm not. I think Agatha Christie's work has had a better impact on the murder mystery than maybe her own work which is a controversial take when I haven't read any of the books. I just I've read almost every single one. I oh. absolutely loved murder mysteries growing up. That was a yeah, big big do, fan. Do you, do you think her twists are predictable then? I'll ask that. You start getting the formula. Yeah, I mean similar. So I would say that I read all the Nancy Drews and mm. then I graduated to Agatha Christie and um I, you know, they always say horror and comedy are very kind of hand in hand and and it is the rhythm and when you land the joke or the jump scare or mm. whatever. Um so yeah, I think unfortunately the the sad thing is the more you watch it the more you understand how it's going to play um, which makes it less effective which similarly mm. I think maybe for the sequels and everything you're talking about you, you kind of can only pull the same trick so many times before it mm. gets stale don't you so I think what's really interesting literally to counteract that in some regards <laughs> I think Saw X manages to pull all the tricks you know what are coming and still make it so exciting because mm. I'm going to lie I did come out of Saw X quite uneased because <laughs> you do think whoa to what you're seeing because uh, obviously, if anyone knows Saw, there's a vo- obviously a very intense nature of the traps. Uh, yeah, Saw X was one of the most exciting experiences <laughs> I've had this year with a film because I think maybe what the worst thing about it was that I thought the last trap was probably the worst trap, which is never good to go out on something like that feeling because I think it peaked at the first two traps. 
I'm not going to say what they are. I'm going to let anyone who wants to watch Shaw X experience it for themselves. Uh, a fellow colleague of ours, uh, Zach, had to walk out because he couldn't cope with it. <laughs> Zach, when you cut, if you ever come on the show, I'll be very happy to debate the ramifications of Saw with you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think, I think something like I don't know if you've heard of Pearl either, which is the Mia Goth-led horror film. It's a sequel to X. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, X I've seen. Well, the yeah. prequel to X, yeah. Uh, which is, did you ever realize in X the old woman was played by Mia Goth? I did towards the end, but it did genuinely take me a while, which I think is a testament to yeah, the acting makeup. Because yeah, it did take me longer than I would have wanted it to. Because <laughs> I, sh- I, sh- I showed my friends. Uh, I said, "Did you realize that the old woman was played by uh, Mia Goth?" And it was like, and he was like, "Oh my god!" Now I've got a complete different kind of outlook on it because yeah. when you see Paul, I think the mirroring in X changes between the two characters of Paul and Maxine because. Essentially, oh, I have seen Pearl. Sorry, I think because they both have the um, dock scene on the lake. Yes, confuse them, and they kind of came out around the same time, didn't they? I think uh, Pearl really is one of the best character studies of a slasher I've ever seen, mm. which I think is another really good example of taking a franchise and doing something really interesting mm. with it. Because you wouldn't come away from X thinking I need a prequel, and then you see the prequel, and it's like wow. Because I actually felt sympathy. <laughs> which is really weird from a mass murderer essentially uh, because Paul is I think such a rich horror movie I mean it's going to make my top 10 of the year uh, so I'll save that I'll save it for a full white hats but I think it's just it's a fascinating study on a character's mindset I would say more than anything as to why how the people around her are not necessarily solving the issue as to why Pearl is feeling like this mm. and sort of the ramifications and backlash as to what she then does essentially go on a mass rampage <laughs> <laughs> which I have to say I was actually afraid of Mia Goff coming out of the film essentially but she does do she does do horror very very well I do, she was great in Infinity Pool I don't know if you saw that with that. Alexander Skarsgård I really did like that that's another I on my long list I know I think everyone's l- watch list is just like the size of (laughs) the the size of a window I mean it's that uh, I I think that's an understatement yeah and like I'm someone who fully avoids horror I cannot do horror I I cannot sleep I cannot sleep oh that's interesting okay I'll ask this what about horror gets under your skin then I'll put it that way I think like it's it lingers with you once you leave the theatre or once you stop watching it Mm. so my I, I would say my earliest introduction to horror was this one Tamil film called Chandramukhi. It took me so long to know it was in her head. But like, I think that's also like, like my earliest memory also of watching this movie with my cousin, right? And we'd fight and say like, oh, like we both know we're equally scared. And he'd be like, if you're brave, go to the toilet by yourself. And I'd be like, I am brave, are you? And then, you know, we'd be fighting about it. And I still remember, like, we'd be huddled under the blanket and we'd be watching the film, like, oh, my God, what is... We watched it ten times, but we still would be like, oh, my God, is this the scene where, like, um, Vaitin Raja, like, cuts her head off and stuff? And I th- and after that, I stopped because I'm like, I cannot get this kid. I cannot need someone to wait outside the bathroom for me. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a horror convert, so I don't know, because for me, I did not like horror growing up at all, because I think probably all of mm. us have quite vivid imaginations, um, and so they would very much be in my nightmares for yeah. several days after, so that was why I didn't enjoy them. Um, 
And it basically was just like, I was subjected to them so intensely in my undergrad because my friend group really liked horrors and I always got outvoted for film night that I, we, mm-hmm. I started to really like them. Um, so I guess just and then I, I startled them. very easily so mm. even now when my flatmates walk into the kitchen they're like dude it's been a month <laughs> you know you live with three other people and I was like it's gonna take me a while <laughs> so I don't think I can do horror at all you, maybe so the horror films I've been watching this season are very different from the ones you're describing you, you're doing proper you know scary horrors I've been watching a lot more comedy horrors so oh. um, I've really enjoyed They Clone Tyrone have you seen that one Matt now? I have seen They Clone Tyrone. Okay. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed They Clone Tyrone. Um, I thought it was really good as a you know black lead um, kind of sci-fi horror. Um, I thought it was really well shot. I thought the color use and everything was really nice. Um, I also liked, but a lot of people I think didn't from the reviews I've seen, The Blackening. Oh, I love The Blackening. It's great. great. Okay, good, oh, I really so enjoyed good. it. Um, and I think both of those, again, mm. of like, I, they are horror, but I honestly wouldn't necessarily put, because like, I get why you have to list them as horror, but they aren't. Okay scaring you yeah. in that way do you know yeah. what I mean but that's okay that's mm-hmm. I like that about them that they are I think quite funny and poignant and again it's just really nice to actually see like mainstream black mm. horror comedies coming out so. I, I totally agree I think what's so good about the blackening is that I would actually probably say it's one of my top five horrors of the year even though it's okay. kind of horror comedy Yeah. I think it walks this really fine line of being so funny with the group dynamic Yeah. I mean I was laughing at such serious situations <laughs> But I think what where it flips back is that I think the killer chases in that film are real like ho- holy m- crap to what's going on. <laughs> I mean, you essentially have to kind of take a breath because it's that they use the they use the landscape of the home really well as well. I think for yeah, such they a contained use the space really well. Yeah, uh, I think the twist really plays well into what the film is trying to achieve, mm. being called the Blackening. Uh, I mean, I I did guess it within like the first scene. I don't know if you did. I'm guessing. I have to confess, it, it, it was predictable, but I still really liked well, the... Well, I don't want to give it all away, but the, the the mask is... That's what gave it away for me, is I was like, oh, well, that's obviously... We'll have to talk about it yeah. off of this, because I don't want to spoil it, but there's, like, specifically the design of the mask. I was like, oh, they've kind of spoon-fed that a little bit, but it was still so good, I think, mm. even knowing where it was going. Yeah, I think... I. It really reminded me of Scream 6, which came out earlier this year. <laughs> Scream 6... Wow. Do you not like, like Scream? No, <laughs> I don't. I do not. Do you like the scary movies back in the day? Maybe that's maybe that's your way in actually to horror. I, d- I was like, what is this? What is going on? I was, I, I couldn't take it seriously. So this, Scream, this yeah. do you know the scary movie films? I do. Okay, yeah, because that's I feel like that's if you watch that and then you watch the horror films that they're spoofing yeah. it. it I haven't seen scary movie around. actually. You don't need to watch all of them. Talking of things going on a little too long, obviously, but um, I mean, I think I think they're really fun. Uh, yeah, they're I've watched that. I watch. I watch, I've watched Scream, and I was like, yeah, this is not for me because I'm like, what? After some time, like, I'm not invested in this. If I'm not mm. invested, I'm not going to watch it. I know they've just uh, uh, Scream Seven have now got a different director, mm. uh, the director of Happy Death Day, uh, which. Is a fine movie, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm probably one of the few who are not excited by that change because I could think of other directors who would be better fit for Scream. I don't. I think I don't want it to become campy mm. because Scream is not camp. Scream is actually real com- compelling drama at the core of it. I think, and what I think Scream Six got right so well was that. The ghost face sequences were so mean and brutal. Mm. I mean, they really found different ways of how do we plunge the life in someone. <laughs> Punch the nu- knife, but literally. I think I, I enjoyed Final Destination. Yeah? Yeah. That was, I think that's the most I can stomach. 
<laughs> I've seen like two of those films and it's just like they're just very repetitive in my opinion yeah after some time it did yeah. become re- very repetitive because I know okay they're gonna die this is gonna happen like franchise is being dragged to it's like yeah. we know uh, we know you can see what's going to happen yeah. we just don't need another 80 minutes of you trying to fathom out to yeah. stop it I think the first first two were good and then after that should have stopped hmm are they remaking it you know I think have I heard rumours of a new Final Destination somewhere? Have I just made that up? I, I've not I, I heard the rumours. I probably made it up. But <laughs> I think you hear so much about horror films being remade and stuff, it gets very confusing. Anything being remade though, right? So yeah. I mean, look at Texas Chainsaw. That's had about a dozen remakes. I've actually lost count of how many Texas Chainsaw films. I don't I don't like remakes at all, especially like back home. It They remake stuff from one language into another. Yeah. And I think there's so much that it loses. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I think, um, I mean, maybe we're thinking of different like projects, mm. but um, I don't necessarily love remakes, but I think that contextualizing things for the culture that you're going to be airing them in. So like, obviously, America does a pretty poor job a lot of times of taking things from the UK and it doesn't quite land. But I mean, I think, you know, like The Office being the classic example mm. of that, that was tremendous and it was a remake, but it really, I mean, especially the first season, right? It's like pretty much almost like shot for shot, I think. so. Like, the, uh, there was this film called 96 that they tried remaking, and it was really bad. Like, I think there's there's this magic in the music that mm. uh, Govind, Vas- Govind Vasanta tried. Like, as soon as he starts, like, the violin starts, you feel goosebumps. Like, that's how great the music was. And, and like, Vijay Sethupati and Trisha, they bring in this innocence, mm. you know? They bring in this innocence that was so refreshing. But I think that was sort of lost in... So the stylistic yeah, choices you're saying yeah. don't necessarily go over, yeah. Okay, interesting. Hmm, yeah, I think with remakes, it's probably a thing I'm against more than sequels in the mm. sense that I think for a remake to exist, it has to really justify why why someone reimagining the story in the first place. I think the best remake I've seen recently was the Evil Dead 2013 remake. Uh, it's certainly, if you don't like cover... <laughs> Even I was squ- squeamish at some of the... Because it has to be one of the most violent films I've ever seen in a while. I mean, some of the gore in that is like... I mean, there's a point where... Actually, I'm not going to say it because it's only 1.45. <laughs> I think if I say it, it's going to just sound horrible. But I think... I When I got to the final act of that film, I was just like... It was almost like I was in a boxing ring, like in a sports game. I was just willing... The lead characters go, oh, please win, please win. Like, I was actually that pumped up, which I haven't been in a long time <laughs> in a horror. It's one of the best horrors I've seen, probably, uh, when it came out 2013. So, I was probably say this decade, I'd argue, uh, because I think it takes the original formula, decides to go completely horror inflicted, and it does it really well. Uh, because I think the comedy in Evil Dead, I don't know if you've seen Evil Dead, by the way. Uh, at one point I can't remember I don't think the comedy works too well personally because mm. I think it's a very interchangeable in the sense that if you cut it out it's like what am I losing here I mean Evil Dead 2 is just one of the most absurd films I've ever seen because the, there was a guy who literally has to store his own hands off with a chainsaw uh, see the film you'll understand the context <laughs> but yeah I think Evil Dead remake's really good uh I just I don't see a lot of remakes where I come out feeling that was better than the original. I mean, mm. nine times out of ten, 
you're probably going to think, what on earth is this doing, essentially? Uh, you don't see them as often as sequels, which I think is quite refreshing, but even when you do, it's like, why on earth are we doing this? Like, I, The best example I've just come up with is that Disney need to apparently turn every animation film they do mm, into, into live action. Yeah, yeah we don't, mm. I don't personally feel we need that, but yeah. yeah. It's like, I think the problems with, I think arguably the sequel issue you said of like Fast X, because I do agree, why are they 10 films in and they're now <laughs> going to extend it to a Fast X part one, part two, part three, it's like... At one point, and I'm sorry, I've not actually seen the, the Fast you and Furious. Um, but <laughs> at what point do they have to do an X Men like, and we've just changed the timeline and it all starts over? Like, oh. are they have they pulled one of those yet? Or are they gonna? Or? Here's the controversial thing: I actually really like X Men. I do too. I really do too. I think X Men is one of the best franchises yeah. out there. I think the last few movies didn't, but like with the original cl- cast, with like. Mm. I like the ones with um, Jennifer Lawrence, Michael Fassbender, James McAvoy. So the second set. Yeah, the second set. But I think the one with Sophie Turner, like, I think she had that one... Was r- that was rough, that yeah. Phoenix one. Sorry, Sophie, I know you're going through stuff yeah. right now. <laughs> mm. I, I didn't like that. But, like, I really, like, up until, like, the, the ones with James McAvoy, I like those. They're really good in those films. I think James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender, there's yeah. so much flair they bring yeah. to that. Uh, Days of Future Past probably oh, my favourite. Uh, yes. The mixture of the old and new casts. I really like that. So I think of, of that set, then have you guys also then seen the ones before that generation? Yet? Yeah, and just not like for them? a number of years. I've got to be honest. Yeah. Okay, because I did. Um, it's going back probably four years now, but I, I uh, basically made a like nine-year-old boy watch the original. Well, that I don't think that even maybe was the original X-Men one, but. Um, I think where remakes do come in, and I don't love them myself, but I think similar to a cover music is if the current young generation, if it's not in a style or format, like basically if it's just not for them. So this is where to me, like Mm. the Disney animations, those hold up. Those are still great films as they are. I've been watching a lot of like older films right now. So like I, whilst I think like His Girl Friday is perfect in every way and I wouldn't personally remake it and I, I don't know that they have, I can understand that, you know, today's 10-year-olds don't want to film in black and white. And so mm. that's where I think it's okay to remake it. it Maybe like A Star is Born, right? Like how many people have seen the old A Star is Born? Oh, that's a really good point. And mm. how many people love the new one? And that's just because they just needed to make the story set now. Mm. Um, and, you know, in the current film formats and everything. So. Ah, that's a really good point about uh, how a film plays in the time period it's in because I haven't seen A Star Wars Born, I've got to be honest. Mm. Mm. And I'm curious, so if you've seen the remake, does, does the remake hold up to the original? Or do you think? I don't know. Oh, you don't know? <laughs> <laughs> I, only, I didn't know it was a remake until my grandma said, I'm not going to watch it because the first one was perfect and why are they remaking it? And I said, see, that's interesting mm. because in my generation, I didn't know there already was one. It's not being portrayed in the marketing yeah. as if it is a remake. So, And also I think like, remakes are different from places like back home remake was to fit another actor another language mm. of here it's for like technically is it better now mm. can we make it better so now? like um girl with the dragon tattoo right like the the ones in i'm gonna mess this up i think it's in swedish is it um, yeah those are fantastic those are those are fantastic films both the films the english language one mm. and that one are great but they have just remade it so that it's in English because they know that, let's be frank, a lot of America doesn't want to read subtitles. <laughs> and so that's why they remade it. But also, I think someone said, I, I don't know who, but I know it's a director. I think the one who, who directed Parasite, I'm not sure. He talks about how, like, there's a world beyond subtitles. If you just look past that, mm. you know, that two centimeters word. And it's so true. Because I feel like when people try dubbing a film, 
you, it loses so much. So I think that's really cultural as well, because I'm not yeah. sure if you know, but so Germany, which is also where I'm from, mm. um, they dub everything. Yeah. It's like dub city. Every sing every actor has a dedicated dub artist, mm. and they're like very famous in Germany. Um, whereas in other like here, you yeah. just you just wouldn't necessarily do it as much. Like when you watch Studio Ghibli, mm. I personally watch it with subtitles, but you can get it dubbed, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, I know I I've seen like Japanese. Uh, I was watching. I think Spike's family, and then mm -hmm. they had like a dubbed version, and I was, it it doesn't feel right. And like a few of the K dramas I was watching, they had like the, it was in English, and there's so much that gets lost. Mm. And you know quite a lot of languages. So I, I wonder do. if that helps in terms, it of, does. or maybe hinders in terms of uh, accepting yeah, the dubbing. It does because I think translation, a lot of it yeah. gets lost yeah. because in many languages there are sound words, right? There are sound words, and there are words that you don't have a replacement for in English mm. and then it gets lost over there and then I think sometimes people who translate take an easier route instead of explaining like instead of saying the whole word they you know they change Matching it. to the, yeah. the mouth movement better isn't it they yeah. have to sometimes make a choice between is that more mm. correct as a translation I think it's more more of what's more used mm. like this sounds like someone something you would say but it's not what the person's exactly saying mm. like would you say like in Indian languages the word love there are different types of love mm. but when you translate in English it's like I like and I love that's all so I feel there it gets lost mm. and this is just like one example but there's so many times I'd watch a movie and be like yeah that's trans translated incorrectly and I think because the the way grammatically how a, a sentence is structured right it changes that way also because of here, it's like subject, verb, object. Over there, it's like subject, object, verb. Yeah. Mm, that's, that's really interesting, yeah. I've just had a look at what time we're up to. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting close, aren't we? And I think uh, that is a brilliant way to end the episode. So <laughs> this concludes the first episode of the Matt the Crick Show. Pepper and Cadamry, thank you so much for this discussion. I mean horror sequels remakes whatever way you want to see them i think everyone's got their own distinct view at the end of the day yeah. i think it's been unbelievably insightful uh, i look forward to being back next week with a hopefully a killers of the flower moon review and hopefully if i can get time in the morning to see it and do the show in the evening five nights at freddy's so until then do you want to plug anything on your social media accounts <laughs> there was a bit of silence oh, there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm just Pepper Wilds on yeah. uh, Instagram, but you know, oh, again, complete yeah. career change. So maybe uh, if you're if you're looking right now, there might not be a lot on there. But yeah. hopefully, by the end of this course, it'll be absolutely jam packed yeah. with some quality footage. Right now, it's just my personal account, Kalimbri underscore Ramesh. I know mine's a real handful. Mine's a <laughs> <laughs> at Matt underscore the underscore critic underscore productions on Instagram. Uh, you can find me uh, at Matt underscore the underscore critic on Twitter. <laughs> I apologise for the underscores, but unfortunately, when someone has taken your name, uh, you can't unfortunately do much about that. So, actually, yeah, I just said Twitter. It's X now, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. let me let's uh, let's do that again. Matt underscore the underscore critic on X and Matt underscore the underscore critic underscore productions on <laughs> Instagram. Or you could just type my name in, Matthew Alacoon, on Instagram or X. You'll probably be able to find me. But yeah, this has been an absolutely brilliant episode. I look forward to being back next week. I'm not sure who's on next week, so it's going to be a nice task for me to do in the meantime. But thank you very much.
and stay tuned for episode two. Thanks for having us. Looking yes. forward to it. Yeah, thank you. It's lovely.